Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, January 25th, Friday Eve of this week. <laughs> You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. We're trying to make Friday Eve a thing. Mosh, I thought it was already a thing, which is why I wrote it in the newsletter, wishing everybody last Thursday a happy Friday Eve. That's where I saw it. it. (laughs) It's gotten in my head now. I like it. It makes me feel better about Thursday, which... Totally. Jill, I think, you know, some people struggle with Thursday because you're, you're there, but you're almost you're not there yet. So I feel like Friday Eve makes you feel good about it, though. I should say uh, there was a poll conducted in the U.S. a couple of years ago asking people for their least favorite day of the week and most favorite day of the week. Not surprisingly, Saturday, favorite day of the week, followed by Friday, uh, followed by Sunday, least favorite day, Monday and then Thursday. Interestingly, in the poll, the least opinions about Thursday. It is like almost nobody's favorite day and almost nobody's least favorite day. They're totally neutral. They're, new, they're just like, they're just saying, I, you know, I, I can get behind. You know what? They just, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have opinions on Monday and on the weekend. The rest of these days, not so much. It's true. I feel like there's songs about Monday. Like you've got Sunday blues. <laughs> no Friday, one talks about Thursday. Friday song. Thursday, there's, there's just generally speaking, it's not appreciated. The most amount of appreciation this day has ever gotten is on this podcast right now. <laughs> well, throwback Thursday was a thing for a Correct. while. Correct. That was a way to make Thursday interesting. <laughs> and then there were people who wanted to make flashback Friday a thing. And it was like, we already have People are living in the past, People, they have a lot of good memories and too many to, you know, just feature on Thursday. (laughs) Living in the past? What do you mean, Mosh? (laughs) The 90s are back for Jill. What do we got in the news today? Let's talk about some current stuff. For months, the Biden administration has been warning that money was going to run out and now it is official. The Pentagon has no more money to help Ukraine in its fight against Russia. Back at home, Nikki Haley facing growing pressure to drop out of the GOP primary race against Donald Trump. Speaking of politics, we could all use a little humor. Jon Stewart returning to The Daily Show one day a week until the 2024 election. A whistleblower is out with some key information about who's to blame for that door that blew off of an Alaska Max 9 jet. A record number of Americans have signed up for Obamacare, but Donald Trump still says it's got to go. Could a blood test help revolutionize testing for Alzheimer's? We'll tell you about plans for one of the tallest buildings in the world and the tallest in the United States in Oklahoma, of all places. I feel like that old salsa commercial, Jill, where they're like, New York City. I think it was an ad from the 90s where people were like offended that a salsa was coming from New York City. I think those of us in New York are like, Oklahoma is going to have the tallest (laughs) building? We'll explain. (laughs) Who do they think they are? And we've talked a lot about tweens and their skincare craze. It turns out 20-somethings are also spending big on cosmetic procedures to prevent aging. One dermatologist says she has a better idea for how they should spend their money. And Moshe is on this day in history. We'll tell you about the big find today, the biggest diamond ever discovered and where you can see it today. All right, so we've heard the warnings, but now the Pentagon officially out of money for Ukraine, nearing the two-year mark of Russia's invasion. During a monthly defense meeting with allies, Biden officials are urging other countries to continue sending ammunitions and missiles to Ukraine in order to bridge the gap until the U.S. Congress approves more funding 
President Biden has asked Congress to pass a $110 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and to beef up security along the U.S.-Mexico border. And more than half of that money, about $60 billion, is slated for Ukraine. But House Republicans have so far said it's a no-go. And so the Pentagon has officially run out of funds to send and manufacture weapons for Ukraine Since Russia invaded in February of 2022, the U.S. has given the country about $44.2 billion in security assistance and more than $100 billion in overall aid. The Ukrainian government has told the U.S. that its units are running low on ammunition. Russia showing no signs of letting up, only escalating its attacks in the past few weeks. Just this week, Russia launched a barrage of more than 40 ballistic cruise and anti-craft missiles into Ukraine's two biggest cities. And also said no to any deal backed by Kyiv and allies to end the almost two-year war. Russia currently occupies about 20% of Ukraine. Yeah, that's an area about the size of Maryland. And that hasn't changed much in the last year. Ukraine had that major counteroffensive that a lot of people were hopeful for, that they could push back the Russians, uh, take back some of the territory that the Russians took in 2022 Some of the territory that the Russians uh, took from them in 2022, but not so much last year. The 600-mile, basically, battle line, they're moving a couple yards, a couple meters every day, but nothing that significant. Ukrainians saying they need much more in the way of weapons and aid to keep this thing going, because also keep in mind that this has effectively shut down parts of their economy. So a lot of Ukraine is dependent on foreign aid right now, and in particular, aid from the U.S. also as the Russian bombardments continued. They're looking for ammunition, artillery shells, uh, interceptors to deal with all these Russian missiles, uh, cruise missiles that have been coming in, as well as uh, continued air defense. The U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is now out of the hospital but still recovering at home, was part of this meeting with other uh, defense leaders from around the world saying, guys, it's your turn now. We need you to dig deep and provide Ukraine with more life-saving air defense systems, interceptors, etc. The last round of money the Pentagon was able to cobbled together based on the last round of congressional funding was about $250 million for Stinger anti-aircraft missiles uh, and other weapons from U.S. stockpiles. Keep in mind, and this is something we went into in the Mo News Premium Instagram feed last week, a lot of this aid actually is spent here in the U.S. So when you see this allocation of billions of dollars, a lot of that goes to U.S. defense plants across the country. The economy in Ohio is actually doing incredibly well in areas based on the spending for Ukraine. So it's money that comes from Congress goes to defense manufacturers here in the U.S., provides jobs, uh, helps communities, and then those weapons go off to Ukraine. But the money has dried up in the Senate. There have been talks now going a couple months to try to come up with a deal for Ukraine. Jill, you mentioned that deal, uh, the proposal from the White House is $60 billion more uh, for Ukraine, but right now no agreement. Uh, in particular, there's pushback among House Republicans, more than 100 of them, say uh, they don't believe we should be giving any more aid to Ukraine. Others calling for much more in the way of accountability. Uh, There have been a number of reports, we've discussed them on this podcast, that uh, billions in aid to Ukraine has gone unaccounted for, where it's been used, how it's been used in Ukraine. So that's a demand too. But it does come, as you've seen uh, Donald Trump and other members of the Republican Party say enough is enough. Uh, We're done giving uh, significant amounts of aid to Ukraine here. And the divide really continues to be in the Republican Party. And because of that, you see, you know, effectively things are frozen on Capitol Hill. In some cases, uh, part of the deal would be giving those Republicans something on the border in exchange 
for money for Ukraine. But still no signs that there's a deal anytime soon. One piece, though, of good news in the international effort to aid Ukraine is uh, this effort to provide them with F-16 jets and training. Several Ukrainian pilots are being trained right now with the U.S. Air Force. The aim is to uh, ensure that Ukraine later this year can start flying F-16s. They have been using old Soviet weaponry, old Russian weaponry uh, that they've had, and now they're being trained in these U.S. jets. Uh, One other note here before we leave Ukraine, a headline we were following yesterday, we're still waiting for more details on, a Russian military transport plane crashed on Wednesday, killing 74 people, according to the Russians. And that includes 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war who were headed to a location for a swap. Uh, The Russians offered no evidence, though they did say the Ukrainians shot down their own prisoners of war. No comment so far from the Ukrainians. So we're going to wait more details on that incident. All right, moving to politics now, the pressure is mounting for Nikki Haley to drop out of the presidential race. The head of the Republican National Committee, which officially is neutral when it comes to primaries, Ronna McDaniel, she said she really doesn't see a path forward for Haley. McDaniel said that with Trump winning both the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary, it is time for the GOP to unite around former President Trump. She told Fox News, quote, I'm looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. Every Republican has to agree that Joe Biden is a threat to our country. And if we do not unite and if we don't come to coalesce to beat him, then we are not going to be successful in 10 months where the Senate's at stake, the House is at stake and the White House is at stake. And elected Republicans also calling on the party to unite behind Trump, Senators Rick Scott of Florida, Josh Hawley of Missouri, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas, just some of the names rallying around him. Dozens of people coming in the last day for Trump. But Haley so far not looking to leave this race. She's actually out with some new campaign ads in her home state of South Carolina, where she is currently trailing in the polls by about 30 points. In one of those ads, it says President Biden, too old, Trump, too much chaos, and quote, no one wants the rematch between the two presidential frontrunners in their respective parties. Speaking of President Biden, he did get the endorsement Wednesday from the United Auto Workers Union, which also endorsed him back in 2020. So not a huge surprise, even though in 2020, some members did vote for Trump. Yeah, I mean, Haley keeps trying to make the thing happen that majority of Americans don't want those two front runners, and that appears to be the case. But no one seems to have told a majority of Democrats and Republicans voting in the primary so far. Trump continues to finish above 50% in Iowa, 50% in New Hampshire. And Biden got about 55% of write-in candidates in New Hampshire. So for all of the hand-wringing in the Democratic Party about Biden, people literally took a moment to write him in uh, (laughs) over uh, other opponents. So as I was telling folks on the um, premium Insta last night, uh, who asked, like, wait, how did we get here? I said, it's Taylor Swift lyrics. I'm the problem. It's me. If you have anyone (laughs) to blame for why you have the candidates you have, we the voters decide, at least in a couple states. And that's, I know, has been a frustration here. And one of the arguments Haley is making, right? Only two states have voted. Why do I have to get out? Well, her party that she wants to be the nominee for uh, is trying to push her out. You mentioned the head of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, who, by the way, we should note, has been a close ally of Trump for a while, even though they have official neutrality. But just the names here coming out on social media in recent days, uh, the senator from Missouri, Eric Schmidt, writes, it's over. The congressman from North Carolina, Dan Bishop, writes, it's over. 
In post after post, Republicans said any resistance to Trump's nomination here is futile. The senator from Kansas, Roger Marshall, called any resistance here a charade. Senator Marco Rubio said it's a waste of resources. You have J.D. Vance from Ohio saying it's an act of betrayal against the party that if Nikki Haley doesn't drop out, uh, she's helping Democrats. So this is something we mentioned in yesterday's pod, that ultimately this would come down to two things. One, what do Republicans in the party say? How much pressure do they put on her? And two, donors. And we have some developments on that front today as well. Billionaire Reid Hoffman, you might know him as the co-founder of LinkedIn. Big Democrat, actually, but one who gave to uh, Nikki Haley. He's given at least $250,000 to her super PAC in the last year. He believed that Haley had the best chance of beating Trump in the Republican Party and thought it was best to donate money to her. But he's looking at her loss in Iowa, her loss in New Hampshire, and saying, why should I keep dumping money into that campaign? CNBC also reports in the last day that a Republican fundraiser told them that they have three clients who each raised $100,000 for Haley who are now opting out, saying, nope, she's lost a couple times. She didn't win in New Hampshire. I'm not wasting any more money. Uh, And so ultimately, they're looking at the calendar like we laid out on yesterday's pod and saying, I don't see where she can win here. She's down 30 points in her home state, at least, if not more, in South Carolina. She's going to try to pick off a couple states on March 5th. But does she have a path to the nomination? More donors are saying no. So you got the party and the donors, at least in the 24 hours since New Hampshire took place, uh, starting to close the door on her. So the question remains, how long can she last here? And how will she deal with the pressure she's seeing? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. When you said that about the Taylor Swift song, just going back to that really quickly, it's also the system. It, it sure. is the voters. But the way that our government is set up does sometimes allow us to elect more extreme candidates and not people who are in the middle. Sure. It's the parties. But who makes up parties? People. Who votes for parties? The voters. So I'm not saying, you know, we can go out there and like change it immediately and we have full responsibility here. This is a system that's existed for a while. We have a two-party system, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, for Democrats who are saying, I wish there was an alternative to Joe Biden. Well, if a bunch of you showed up outside the White House and there was a movement for an alternative, they would have to respond to that. At the same time, Republicans are going through the motions right now. There were 13 or so candidates running against uh, Donald Trump. And yet the vast majority of those who are voting and those who are intending to vote in the primaries say, no, I want the previous guy. I want him back again. I want the for the third straight election, Donald Trump to be our nominee for president. And so uh, that's where we find ourselves before we point fingers. OK, fine. Just we saying, have a problem. Just saying. <laughs> Jill. OK, time now for a quick word from a couple of our sponsors. We're always talking about health trends and food trends here on the podcast, and it can be hard to get all of your nutrients Well, one way to get all the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, and it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. I started drinking AG1 months ago. I like to think of it as kind of an insurance policy. No matter what I eat for the rest of the day, I'm covered. It's not an excuse to eat bad for the rest of the day, but it is nice to know. Uh, One of my friends, actually, who is a big AG1 user, had told me that. Okay, so with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. 
Visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Seattle Times. A Boeing whistleblower says that the company misinstalled the piece that blew off Alaska 737 MAX 9 jet. That fuselage panel known as the plug door that blew off of an Alaska Airlines jet earlier this month was removed for repair and then reinstalled improperly by Boeing mechanics on the final assembly line. This is according to a person familiar with details of the work who spoke to the Seattle Times. If verified by the NTSB investigation, it would leave Boeing primarily at fault for the accident instead of its supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, which originally installed the panel into that 737 MAX 9 fuselage. Last week, an anonymous whistleblower who appears to have access to Boeing's manufacturing records of the work done assembling the specific Alaska Airlines jet on an aviation website, separately provided many additional details about how the door plug came to be removed and then misinstalled. This person writing, quote, the reason the door blew off is stated in black and white in Boeing's own records. It is also very, very stupid and speaks volumes about the quality culture at certain portions of the business. Mosh, that culture at Boeing also called into question when we saw those two crashes of the 737 MAX 8. Yeah, a lot of questions being asked at Boeing. A lot of this in the fallout of their merger with McDonnell Douglas uh, and how that changed the company um, years ago. And keep in mind, when you build planes, design planes, it's years in the making. So we're seeing the results of cultural change years down the road. Uh, This Boeing insider, the whistleblower, says company records show the four bolts that prevent the door plug from sliding up and off the doorframe were not installed when Boeing delivered the plane back to Alaska Airlines. That was one of the questions being asked when they saw how cleanly the plug fell off and that there was no stretching or bent metal. They're like, wait, it's possible the bolts were never there that kept the bolts on. And uh, that appears to be the case, at least based on these allegations from the whistleblower. According to them, the work of the mechanics on the door plug should have been inspected and signed off by a Boeing quality inspector. It wasn't, they wrote, because of a process failure and the use of two separate systems to record what work was accomplished. So a messy situation that, of course, could have led to uh, deaths. Again, this is just an allegation against Boeing, but significant that this now takes Spirit out of the mix. Spirit, by the way, not Spirit Airlines, Spirit Aerosystems, a separate company. Uh, And the focus here is Boeing. The system for producing the 737 is described by this person as, quote, a rambling, shambling disaster waiting to happen. And so Boeing's been asked about this from the Seattle Times. They have declined to comment, citing an ongoing investigation. But, you know, I guess you could say partially good news because we know it's not a design flaw, but bad news in that apparently something very obvious was not done and inspected at Boeing before a plane was delivered back to an airline. Amosh, I'm glad you mentioned that merger in 1997 with McDonnell Douglas. A lot of experts on aviation point to that merger as when there was a really big change in terms of the culture. What does that mean? Experts say cutting costs became a bigger priority than quality. They say before the merger, Boeing was kind of the gold standard when it came to to engineering and this type of manufacturing. And then after the merger, they, they started outsourcing more. They started outsourcing more of their work. They cut down on union workers. And unfortunately, we are seeing the results. 
All right, from the Washington Post, more than 21 million people have signed up for health plans through the Affordable Care Act's health insurance marketplaces, according to the Biden administration. The record level of enrollment comes as former President Trump, the current frontrunner for the GOP presidential nomination, is again vowing to repeal the program if elected. Signups in the health insurance marketplaces, a jump of 5 million since last year and the third straight year of record enrollment, were partly driven by states' unwinding of pandemic-era protections in Medicaid, with millions of people culled from the safety net health program. According to data through September, at least 1 million people who lost Medicaid coverage last year had signed up for Affordable Care Act health plans. The enrollment figures reflect a roughly 80% surge in signups for the ACA since President Biden took office in 2021 and expanded the subsidies that were available to consumers. Biden saying in a statement, the American people have made it clear they don't want the Affordable Care Act weakened and repealed. They want it strengthened and protected. Yeah, we've been talking about this now for more than a decade. This was Obama's signature domestic achievement, uh, but then, you know, was ensnared in a whole bunch of fights. And so his original vision for the plan was not executed. And so that's led to some issues with Obamacare. Republicans have been running multiple elections here calling for the repeal of Obamacare. Uh, and the issue has helped them retake the House, retake the Senate, retake the White House during various years. But the program continues to survive multiple repeal efforts, including the one during Trump's time where McCain effectively saved it with his vote. Trump continues to say to this day, I think he posted on social recently, I want to replace it with something much better. Obamacare sucks, he wrote. Uh, <laughs> though he has yet uh, in the first term nor in 2024, eight years later, proposed anything, proposed a counter, and that's an issue Republicans face. If you look at these ACA signups, by the way, uh, a number of Republican states have seen massive signups, and so it remains popular, which is why some Republicans are wary about uh, massive overhaul or cutting it completely. West Virginia, plant selections soared by 80%. Louisiana, they're up 76%. Texas and Florida, by the way, uh, represent two states with the highest number of plan selections. Uh, each state, about a million residents in each picked policies. So a majority of Americans have a favorable view of the program. At the same time, it has a number of flaws as far as costs, etc. Anyone who's gone to these marketplaces, I certainly have had to try to do that. I know you have as well, Jill. You know, sometimes limited options uh, in terms of what's possible and still pretty expensive. And, you know, even with uh, Obamacare and what unfolded and some of the stuff that has been cut from the program, clearly there's still a need in this country to uh, revisit health care. Sticking with medical news from The Guardian, a blood test could revolutionize the diagnosis of Alzheimer's. A new study finds that measuring levels of a protein could be just as good at detecting the disease as lumbar punctures and scans, which can be much more costly and also pretty painful. Dr. Nicholas Ashton, one of the study's authors based in Sweden, said that the results had important implications given that research has shown that two new medications can slow cognitive decline in Alzheimer's patients. So he says, quote, if you're going to receive the new drugs, you need to prove that you do have that protein in the brain. It's just impossible to do spinal taps and brain scans on everyone that would need them worldwide. So this is where a blood test has huge potential. And he says it could potentially say for a patient that this is not Alzheimer's disease and it could be another type of dementia, which would help uh, to direct a patient's management and treatment routine. Yeah, the researchers show that the blood test was just as accurate as these more difficult tests, the lumbar punctures, et cetera. 
80%, they believe, of individuals could be definitively diagnosed on a blood test without other investigation. One expert in genetics tells the paper that blood tests could be used to screen everyone over the age of 50 every few years, much in the same way as we're all tested for cholesterol, high cholesterol levels, uh, to get a sense of your risk factor and, and whether you have Alzheimer's. So unfortunately, we're not here telling you that there's a cure for Alzheimer's, but at least getting ahead of it, uh, getting in front of it and being able to rule it out appears to be getting easier. From the L.A. Times, John Stewart is returning to The Daily Show on Comedy Central just about eight years since he left the desk, though he will be doing it in a part-time limited basis. The comedian will host The Daily Show on Monday nights starting February 12th and continuing through the 2024 election cycle. This is according to Comedy Central. Stewart will also resume his role as executive producer on the show and is committed through 2025 Other members of the Daily Show news team will host on the remaining nights of the week. Episodes will air on Comedy Central. They'll be available to stream on Paramount Plus the next day. It is more than a year after Stewart's successor, Trevor Noah, stepped down, leaving the Daily Show in a protracted state of limbo. Throughout 2023, the show cycled through a list of celebrity guest hosts like Leslie Jones and Cal Penn, while the quest for a permanent replacement remained elusive. Yeah, at the Emmys, they won an award and somebody mouthed the words, hire a host. <laughs> Former correspondent Hassan Minaj was the front runner, but there was a report recently in The New Yorker that questioned the accuracy of the stories he's been telling in his stand-ups. And so apparently uh, that played a factor there in him not getting the job. So uh, you're going to have this quasi Stewart show. He sort of has the Rachel Maddow deal. Jill, her, what she gets to do on MSNBC these days, where she just hosts on Monday night and special events and that's about it. Mosh, in my new contract, just FYI, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Good to know. All right, folks. Uh, we're looking for a co-host Tuesday through Friday because Jill's only going to host on Mondays. Uh, this and special de- events. And special events. This does come <laughs> after the cancellation, pretty abrupt cancellation, of John Stewart's Apple TV Plus show, The Problem with John Stewart. Uh, it went for a couple seasons as a pretty low-key show with panels, some interviews, Never really took off or, or garnered much buzz there. And apparently there was a, a differences in the creative direction of the show. Uh, reminder here, Politico was actually calling this elder millennial news because for those of us who remember <laughs> Stuart on The Daily Show, you know, he hosted from 1999 through 2015. He hosted for 16 years. So he took us through the 2000 recount, 9-11, the Iraq War, the rise of the Tea Party. Uh, he basically led to the cancellation of CNN Crossfire by calling them out live on a show. So he was a must-watch for political and media commentary. And interestingly, he left just as Trump was beginning his journey to the White House. So many missed him on the 2016 uh, campaign as well as uh, during those four years. And remember, you know, he gave rise to a lot of incredible careers. His correspondents on the show, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Samantha Bee, who would all go on to incredible success. And uh, many of them have their own shows. So then he signs off, does his own thing. And what's interesting, Jill, is he left sort of peak live media. It's been all downhill. He left before streaming was really a thing. And so that has led to a ratings collapse and late night. And the numbers have just you know collapsed for the Kimmels, uh, the Colberts, the uh, Fallons of the world, questions about the future of live late night in an era of YouTube, etc., which, again, was not quite a thing as he was leaving. It was just kind of launching. And so it'll be interesting to see what the ratings are for this, though I imagine 
he'll have a number of viral clips and there'll be some nostalgia as he returns next month. Uh, And certainly it's going to be an interesting election. And I'm sure he'll have a lot to say in the coming months. I am curious if he's going to bring back any of those correspondents, even just I know they've moved on with their own shows, but even just, you know, for guest appearances like a Samantha Bee or John Oliver. Well, if you're looking at the various families, the Paramount family includes CBS. So Colbert, where, by the way, Stewart is an uh, executive producer, and obviously they were very close and had shows next to each other in Camp Central. They're all in the Paramount family. So I imagine there'll be some collaborations with Colbert there. Oliver might be more challenging because he's over on HBO, which is Warner Brothers Discovery. Carell, B. I'm sure they'll all want to play, and it'll make for some really fun, fun moments on the show in the coming months. From Fox Business, plans to build the tallest skyscraper in the United States are shaping up in an unlikely city. Oklahoma City. Developers at a real estate company are adjusting the already ambitious plans to construct the boardwalk at Bricktown Tower by a few hundred feet, which would make the building 1,907 feet tall, officially the tallest in the country. The firm behind it says the symbolic height, 1907, honors the year that Oklahoma was admitted as the 46th state in the United States. The firm's initial application had the tallest of the building's four towers reaching 1,750 feet, which would have made it the second tallest building in the country behind Manhattan's Freedom Tower. Yeah, and then decided to take it up a notch and put a spire on top of it, Jill, which is the whole controversy in skyscrapers these days. Like, is the building that tall or do you just stick antennas and some stuff at the top? And so that's been a controversy in the tallest building uh, debate over the last uh, couple decades now. It's like, Moshe, I'm 5'2", and when I wear heels, I might be 5'5", five five or, or whatnot, but I'm still 5'2". <laughs> right. so exactly. It, it, these spires, it's the building equivalent. Yes, these, it's the these building spires are high heels. heels. They're high heels, yeah. but on the top. Um, so right now, what would need to happen is a few things for this to actually be built. They need to apply for a variance. They got to rezone. You know, By the way, this would be twice as tall as any other building in Oklahoma City. And so they would have to go through that process. They also have to determine whether there's demand. As we talk about, you know, a lack of demand for office space these days. Can they fill the building? Does it make sense? Now, if it actually gets built, it would be the tallest in the U.S. and the sixth tallest in the world. Right now, the tallest in the world is still the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. That's followed by a building in Malaysia, two in China, and then Saudi Arabia. The World Trade Center, currently the seventh tallest building in the world. Uh, Actually, the U.S. right now these days, in looking into it, only has two of the top 20 tallest in the world. China has 10. China's been on a a building binge when it comes to these tallest buildings. And I will just say this, as someone who grew up in Chicago, being very proud of our Sears Tower, uh, which was once the tallest folks in Chicago. I've looked it up. We're now the 26th tallest. They don't even call the Sears Tower anymore. It's the Willis Tower. Chicago now features the 26th tallest building in the world, even though we effectively invented the skyscraper, Jill. Mosh, the skyscraper, deep dish pizza, and Ferris Bueller. That's a lot to be proud of. Listen, we'll take it. We've done some other stuff in Chicago, too, but we'll take that list right there. Back to Oklahoma. And Kevin McAllister. Home Alone. (laughs) Yes, yes. We've been the site of, of many, many great films, Jill. Back to Oklahoma, though, for a second. So this is going to involve 5 million square feet, apparently over 1,700 residential units, two Hyatt hotels, condos, and then uh, a lot of commercial and community space. They say if the demand isn't there, they're going to shorten the tower. Uh, They're also building two shorter buildings as part of this complex. It's expected that construction would not take place for a couple of years here. 
And so we'll see if Oklahoma City ends up having the tallest building in America. We'll track it from here, America's current home of the tallest <laughs> building, New York City. Well, they could shorten the tower, but just lengthen the spire. They could build a 10-story building within a thousand-foot spire, Jill. Anything's possible. <laughs> it's still the tallest. And finally, from CNN, 20-somethings are paying up for cosmetic procedures to prevent aging. A growing number of people under 30 years old in the U.S. are shelling out thousands of dollars for cosmetic procedures like fillers, skin resurfacing treatments, and neuromodulator injections, things like Botox. This is according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. The FDA approved Botox for cosmetic use more than 20 years ago. And although most Botox recipients are middle-aged, dermatologists and plastic surgeons say that they are now catering to a new group of patients, Gen Zers. Getting started early. One New York City dermatologist telling CNN that the median age of her clientele gets younger every single year. Some patients come into her office for Botox, for wrinkles, she says, that don't even exist. She says they're coming in without any lines or built-in markings on their skin. It's just that they have a fear of aging. And experts say this focus on looking perfect, even trickling down to elementary and middle school age children on social media as Sephora kids gain a reputation for buying skincare products designed for older people. Mosh, we've talked about Sephora kids and their skincare before. Um, no surprise that we could thank social media for this. Yeah, this has been a big thing. We had an interview with a plastic surgeon last year on the podcast, Lara Devgan. You can, if you keep scrolling back in the podcast, you can find that interview where she was talking about that one of the things that came out of the pandemic was all this time spent on Zoom where you're looking at yourself, Americans are looking at themselves longer every day than they ever were. And so that's leading a lot of people to come in being like, I think I need to do something with my face. I need to do something with my nose. I need, you know, fillers, etc. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned social media as well. Uh, right now, when you look at the numbers, people ages 40 to 54 account for the largest percentage of those getting Botox. About 57%, 5 million people, who are getting those injections. But in recent years, the number of people 19 and younger receiving Botox increased by 75%. So I don't know the raw numbers here, but uh, their numbers are rising, as are the 20 to 29-year-olds. I don't know what people under 19 are doing getting Botox, Jill, but apparently that is a thing. The big thing that's driving this primarily is a preventative or baby Botox, injecting Botox into an area on the face that has no defined wrinkles with the goal of keeping them from forming, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> I say this as I stare at the lines uh, on my face as record this podcast. Some plastic surgeons interviewed for this piece, by the way, uh, tell anyone under 21 who have no lines, save your money and go take a vacation in Europe. I love that advice. <laughs> Wait, my daughter once looked at my forehead. I guess yeah. I was just like smiling really big and was like, why do you have a rainbow on your forehead? I guess all the wrinkles. And I'm Though like, I, I, I like that. Uh, I like calling it a rainbow, Jill. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Everyone should have a rainbow. And Moshe, I was not upset. I felt like these are my lines from living and laughing and making funny faces. And there you go. Good perspective on this day. Speaking of on this day, on this day in history, as we always do at the end of the podcast, we begin in 1905 during a routine inspection of a mine in Pretoria, South Africa, a superintendent discovered 
a 3,106 carat diamond weighing just over one pound. It's still the largest diamond ever found. Again, just over 3,100 carats. The stone called the Cullinan after the owner of the mine, his name was Cullinan, was given to Britain's King Edward VII as a birthday gift. Nice to be the king. Worried that the diamond would be stolen when they were transporting it from Africa to London, they actually arranged for a phony diamond aboard a separate ship loaded with detectives as a diversionary tactic. So they had two ships going, one with a fake diamond. Now, the Cullinan was eventually cut into nine large stones and 100 smaller ones, each valued at millions and millions of dollars. And the biggest ones to this day are on display at the Tower of London, along with Britain's other crown jewels. One of the Cullinan diamonds that was cut from the large diamond is part of the British Sovereign's Royal Scepter. Another one sits on the Imperial State Crown. You might have seen some of this stuff featured at those annual royal events or the coronation. And so there you have it, the largest diamond in history on this day. On this day in 1924, the first Winter Olympics took place in Chamonix in the French Alps. There were six sports uh, with a few different events. It was a great success, so they decided to officially designate this experiment. Uh, It was called International Winter Sports Week as the Winter Games starting in 1928. By the way, speaking of Olympics, this year we'll be seeing the Summer Olympics in Paris. The next Winter Games are happening in Milan in 2026. In media and presidential history on this day in 1961, JFK held the first live televised presidential news conference. Uh, He was especially adept at them, uh, made them a thing, and they continue to this day when presidents choose to have them. Uh, Biden hasn't had as many as some of his predecessors. And we'll end here with a bit of music. On this day in 1964, the Beatles scored their first of 25 number one hits in the U.S. with I Wanna Hold Your Hand. I want to hold your hand. And uh, sticking with music, we wish a happy 44th birthday to Alicia Keys, born on this day in 1980. She was officially born Alicia Cook in Manhattan in Hell's Kitchen. Her background as a classically trained pianist influenced her stage name. She explained Alicia Keys like piano keys. Her first album, Songs in A Minor, featured uh, her own compositions. It went to number one back in 2001. All right, this may sound really dumb, but I didn't realize that Alicia Keys was not her real name. And I thought that is the perfect name for somebody who plays piano and sings. Well, you learn something new every day here (laughs) on this day in history. You sure do. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast on this Friday Eve. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who joined Mo News Premium to support us and tune in for our primary coverage on the premium account. If you haven't joined already, just $7 a month. What are you waiting for? You support the account. You support independent journalism. You get access to an extra podcast. You get access to an extra Instagram account where we answer your questions. So join today over at mo.news slash premium. Bye, everyone. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.